5, Matthew chapter number 5. We are on the, uh, the eighth uh, and last uh, beatitude, then we'll continue on in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, probably won't finish tonight this, uh, this last beatitude. Uh, may, uh, may just uh, do a little review tonight of the other seven. Uh, and say a few simple words about the eighth uh, beatitude tonight. Uh, but boy, I appreciate the song. Uh, we have a heavenly Father who cares about us, and I'm glad that He does tonight. What a mess we would be be in if He didn't. And uh, aren't you glad you can take your your biggest needs to God, and you can take your smallest needs to God, and He'll hear them all, and help you through them all. And uh, you can trust him tonight. He wants to hear from you. And uh, he's, he's waiting to hear from you and I. And I bless his name for that. Uh, look with me. Let's stand for a moment. Verse number 10. All of the other seven Beatitudes have had one verse uh, and have uh, been stated, I guess would be the, way, the best way to say it, one time. Uh, this last beatitude has three verses um, and is stated twice. Um, and the blessing or the blessedness is given twice uh, in this last beatitude. Verse 10, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. We'll stop reading there. Lord, we ask you to help us tonight. Lord, we thank you for the privilege to be in your house again this evening. We thank you for these that are here tonight. And I pray, God, that you'd speak to our hearts. Give us uh, that that we need. And may the Holy Ghost of God give fresh unction, fresh oil tonight uh, in the preaching of the Word of God. I pray, Lord, that you would use it. Speak to our hearts. May, may not one person... Walk out of here tonight that has not heard from God. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. I pray, God, that you would change us. And I pray, God, that you would help us tonight. And we'll thank you for it. We'll bless you for it. We'll give you glory for it. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated tonight. I think if we're going to get a grasp or a grip on verse 10, 11, and 12, uh, then we're going to need to be refreshed or reminded of the verses leading up to it. Uh, I, I trust that in the preaching over the last several months uh, that each verse, each subject, each beatitude that we've dealt with, that you've gotten something uh, uh, out of it. Maybe you don't remember all that was said, but something about each one of the Beatitudes uh, stuck out in your mind 
and the Lord spoke to you in each one of those. I, I trust that so. I believe that so. If you halfway listen, uh, I know this much tonight. God is in the uh, business of speaking to his people. And if you just give him an ear, uh, he'll say something to you. And uh, I, I, I'm sure you've gotten something out of all of these. Uh, I won't go back and preach all of them. Uh, but tonight I want to take uh, the time that we have tonight to, to revisit each one of them leading up to uh, this eighth and final uh, beatitude. Uh, we, we've looked in the, in the light of all of these in, in a, in a three-point outline. Of course, I've deviated from that, and I've uh, given you other outlines, preached other messages, but all of those we've, we've tried to look at at least in one of the messages in that way. Uh, and, and the first, uh, I, I, you could probably uh, preach it with me now, at least the outline. Uh, the first uh, thing that we've noticed in each one of these Beatitudes was that each one of them are a paradox. What is being said is not what comes natural to our minds. Uh, what God means is not what we're looking for. And it is the marvelous work of Calvary that changes not only your heart but your mind and your life uh, to make your life fit uh, what God has in his heart and his mind. And aren't you glad for the day uh, that the Lord changed your life and in doing so changed, uh, changed your outlook on life. Uh, we, we notice uh, that all of these are paradoxes and the eighth one, the blessed are they that are persecuted, uh, no doubt is a paradox as well. Uh, blessed and persecution uh, do not go hand in hand in the natural man's way of thinking. In your carnal mind tonight, you did not wake up this morning and say, I hope this is a blessed day where I get persecuted. Can I get a witness right there? I can't wait to experience the blessing of going to work today and getting persecuted by my boss or other employees. I, I am so excited, maybe you thought today, I am looking forward to being persecuted. What a blessing. Those two do not go hand in hand in your natural way of thinking. And yet the Lord Jesus describes that that man who is persecuted for his sake, mind you, uh, that he is a blessed man in this life and in the one that is to come. So it is a paradox. Uh, not only is it a paradox, and what I want to review tonight mainly is this, uh, it is a progression. Uh, each one of these have been stepping stones. Each one of these have led to the other. Uh, each one of these truths have brought us to where we are right now. Uh, I want to say to you tonight uh, that you can be saved uh, and not live your life in any kind of way that brings spiritual uh, uh, or physical or verbal persecution in your life. You can be saved and hide it. Uh, and if you've lived long enough, many of you probably have uh, hid it at some point or another in your life, unfortunately. I don't think that'd be something we'd brag about. I don't think that'd be something we'd rejoice in. But there's been a time you can go back in your life where you were saved and maybe maybe not all here, but maybe there was some of us here tonight, there was a time you were saved and you hid it and no one knew 
that you were a Christian and you've avoided persecution. I, I can look back over my life and see where all of these attributes were not prevalent in my Christian life. But I want you to know tonight, as I've said before, that all eight of these Beatitudes are in you if you belong to God. They may not blossom all the time. They may not be evident all the time, though they ought to be. Uh, they may not always be. Uh, but if you're saved, uh, these are in you. These are not qualifications of salvation. Jesus did not lay out the plan of salvation in Matthew 5 and say, do these eight things and you can go to heaven. Do these eight things and I'll like you. Do these eight things and I'll love you. Do these eight things and I'll accept you. Instead, it is, I have saved you. I have washed you. I have loved you. Now this is what I want you to look like, not so you'll be saved, but because I have saved you. These are Christian characteristics. They're like the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, there's nine fruit of the Spirit, and when God saved, you put all of them in you. You don't get to pick one and say, well, I've got this and this, but not you got all of them. Now, sometimes it'll take the Holy Ghost uh, to, to mine those out of your life and bring you through places in your life, bring you through trials in your life that bring you to a point where these fruit of the Spirit become evident uh, in your daily walk and in your daily life. But if God saved you, they're there. And if God saved you, the, the, the Beatitudes are there. But I see the progression of them working in our lives. I, I, I believe tonight that each one of them builds upon the other. And, 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 and I don't think that, that, that uh, in many ways, and I think maybe you'll agree with me when I'm done preaching it and we put them all together, I don't think that in many ways that you can, uh, that you can avoid uh, the one before the other. I, I think that the, the Lord gave them to us in the order that they're in because that's the way they work uh, most often in our lives. Notice the first one tonight. We're not going to preach it. We'll just give it to you quickly, make a few mentions of it, and how it is leading up to this final and eighth beatitude, uh, blessed are the persecuted. Notice the first one, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is the first beatitude that the Lord gives his disciples and the crowd that's sitting around him, and he said, if you want life, if you want happiness, if you want joy, if you want the blessedness of God, then it comes from you being poor in spirit. He's not talking about physical poverty. He's not talking about you having no money in your pockets. He's not talking about you coming from nothing and living in nothing. He is talking about your attitude, your heart, your spirit towards God. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, if you remember, that word was, uh, and I'm not good with English, so I'm really not good with Greek, but that word, it started with a P, but the P is silent, and the word is tokos. And that Greek word uh, means absolute poverty. It means I have nothing, and I am poor. And when I say I'm poor, I don't mean I'm poor and got a little jingle in my pocket. It means I'm poor and I've got nothing in my pocket. I've got nothing to my name. I am empty and I am unable. 
And when you come to God, uh, poor in spirit, number one, that is how someone gets saved. You're not going to get saved until you need until you need a Savior. You're not going to get saved until you realize you need a Savior. You're not going to be spirit-filled until you get empty of yourself. You're not going to be able to serve God until you come to the place where you realize, I am totally uh, unable, I am incapable, I am nothing without God. I can't, but He can, and I need your help. And he said, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. That word tokos means not having anything at all. It means to crouch or to beg or to cover one's face. It's the same word used in Luke 16 where Lazarus knelt uh, there and covered his face and he begged. He had nothing and he was ashamed and, uh, of his nothingness. And, and, and according to the word of God, that when we come to the Lord, I'm talking to Christians tonight, uh, we're so proud. We're so arrogant. We, we don't pray because we don't feel like we need to pray. We don't need God's help unless it's a catastrophic event. We've got it on our own. We handle, uh, we, we handle our situations without God's help. We parent our children without God's help. Uh, young people live their lives. We make our decisions without God's help. We do what we want to do because we don't think we need God. But if you really want to live life, if you really want to enjoy Come to the end of yourself. Realize you're a beggar without God. You cannot on your own and lay yourself down at the foot of the Lord submitting yourself to His will. I'm talking to Christians. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit. You'll never serve until you realize that you can't. You can't do this. You're not a good preacher. You're not a good Sunday school teacher. You're not a great singer. And even if you are, you can't help anybody with your talent. You're going to need more than talent to get you through this life. You're going to need more than your physical ability to get you through. If anything's going to be done, you're not going to do it. I can stand here and preach till I'm blue in the face, but I need the Lord to help us. And if he don't help us tonight or any other service, there won't be any help. You need the Lord. And you need him every day because you are poor. And if you ever realize that, the quicker you realize that, the better off it is. You ever been around someone that was genuinely poor in spirit? I'm not talking about false humility. But they had come to the end of themselves. I want to encourage you tonight to let God bring you to the end of yourself. You're trying to run the show, call the shots fix everything, you think you're the great fixer of life, you got to fix everybody's problems, find everybody's problem, straighten everybody out, run everybody's circumstances, run your circumstances, run the show, you've got, all, you've got life by the tail, and you're holding on with all you've got, and the best thing that could ever happen to you, young man, young lady, adult man, adult lady, older man, older lady, is to realize that you couldn't when you got saved, and you can't now, you were nothing apart from God's grace before he watched you, and you're nothing apart from it now, and if anything good comes from your life, it'll come by the hand of God in your life. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Here's the next one. Blessed are they that mourn. 
they shall be comforted. Mourning is our response to poor in spirit. I, I, I'm really not good at this. I, I've really made a mess of things, says one. I've really messed up my marriage, maybe. I've really messed up with my children, maybe. I've really dropped the ball. I'm really not a good man or a good woman, some would say. I'm not a good father or a good mother. I'm not a good preacher. I'm not a good Christian. I, I can't even walk without the Lord holding my hand. And when you begin to realize that and you humble your spirit before God, recognizing your inability Blessed are they that mourn. There is a mourning, and it's not, it's, it's, it, this is in spiritual terms. I do believe God will comfort you if you're mourning a loss. I do believe God will comfort you in your sorrows of life. But we're talking on spiritual terms, and it is a mourning over that that I cannot do. It is a mourning over that. It is a brokenness that comes in your life when God breaks your will. I want to ask you a question tonight. Have you ever experienced that kind of brokenness? Somebody said to you before you got saved, you need to be saved. And you said, not me. You might need to be. Not me. Why do I need to be saved? I'm doing pretty good. I'm getting along in life. Got more money than I've ever had. Got more friends than I've ever had. I don't need to be saved. Maybe, maybe so-and-so needs to be saved, but not me. Boy, I tell you what that fellow needs is to become poor in spirit. And if he ever does, it'll bring mourning in his soul. It's a mourning that goes deeper than tears. It's a mourning that goes deeper than crocodile tears. It's a mourning that lasts longer than two seconds on an altar. And we get up to go do what we were doing before. But it is a change of the heart that recognizes, God, I've made a mess and I need you. And they begin to mourn in their spirit over their nothingness, over their sinfulness. Uh, blessed are they that mourn. And so it is a stepping stone. Then the, 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 the third one, verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I don't know if you remember, but as we preached on that meekness, and oftentimes it is, Confused with weakness. Oh, they're such a meek and timid person. But meekness in the word of God is a, really it is a submission to God. And it takes a lot of strength. Be able to lay your life down, it is, a, it is a, the ability to be taught. It is the ability to be led. It is the ability to come under authority. And, and, and meekness is you laying your life in the hands of God and allowing God to lead your life. The Bible said about no, uh, Moses in Numbers, I think chapter 12 or verse 21, I, I, I may have them mixed up, Numbers chapter 12, that Moses was the, and I'm paraphrasing, but he was the meekest man on earth. He never said about Moses that he was weak, that he was timid, that he was a compromiser. And the Bible said he was meek. You know why the Bible could call Moses meek? 
Because in the areas of life where it mattered, Moses laid his will down and accepted God's will. Moses had come to the end of himself in that desert. Moses had come to the end of himself and became poor in spirit. It don't matter who I am or where I come from. I cannot without God's help. And as Moses' life began to mourn over the sinfulness and the inability of his life, then obviously the only great solution is, is that I must give God my life because without him I can do nothing. And when men you are still large and in charge on the throne of our life, I can tell you one thing. There is no meekness leading our life. Lord, I've got a great job. Lord, I've got great plans. Lord, I've got great, I've got great aspirations. But I have found out that all my plans and dreams and aspirations have amounted to nothing. And I am nothing. And I am unable. I am poor in spirit. It's not a word that I say or words I say. But it is an action of the heart where God takes a man or a woman and makes them to become to realize that without him I can do nothing. And the mourning over our sinfulness. And then comes, well, if what I did got me where I was and maybe best thing I can do is in meekness submit my life to the will of God and so blessed are the meek they are humble before God and man they are submitted to the will of God and the authority in their life now look at the fourth one blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled all these again I don't mean to keep going back but but if you don't get there are y'all still with me tonight blessed are the poor in spirit Lord I've about come to the end of my road I, I just I just don't I don't think I'm as strong as I thought I was I don't think I'm as good as I thought I was I don't think I'm as able as I thought I was. Lord, I'm, I'm, real, I'm nothing. And they begin to mourn. Oh, Lord, I need you. I, I don't just need you on Sundays. I need you on Mondays. I don't just need you when my world's falling apart, but I need God in the valley and God on the mountain. Lord, I, I don't just need you in my, in my great trials. I need you every moment. And, and oh, that poor spirit begins to mourn. And then as they begin to mourn and realize, look what I've done. Look what I've made a mess of my life. And Lord, I don't want it to ever be that way again. Whatever you want, whatever you want, I'll submit myself to your will. And you know how God gets an individual to the place where they submit themselves to the will of God. It is the working of God. It is not anything good in that man or woman. It is the working of God in their life that brings them to submission. Submit to some things and still be proud and arrogant in your heart. But God's wanting to do a work in your heart. And they say, Lord, I submit myself to your will. You know what happens when you begin submitting to the will of God? 
Lord, I don't feel like reading my Bible, but I'm going to. Lord, I don't feel like praying, but I'm going to. Lord, I don't really want to go. It's going to embarrass me to go tell this person about you. Lord, I'm busy, and, and, I, and I don't want to talk about you in public. But, Lord, if that's what you want, I'm going to. And you know what happens? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You'll get a good dose of righteousness. You'll get a good dose of living for God. You'll get a good dose of living in the will of God. And, and that meekness, that submission to God's will, when you tell him yes to this one thing, it'll make it easier to tell him yes to the next thing. Oh, by the way, when you tell him no, it'll make it easier to keep telling him no. When you learn to tell him yes and you submit yourself, it'll bring a hunger and a thirst for more of God's righteousness. I told that one fellow about the Lord. I don't know if he got saved or not, but I went home rejoicing that I had done what God wanted me to do. I was obedient. That's not my nature. And that's how we all would feel. It's not my nature to be obedient. But I went home rejoicing that I'd obeyed God. And whether he gets saved or not, and I hope he does, I am living in this moment rejoicing in my obedience to God's will. I think the next time that God talks to me, I'll say yes again. And they begin hungering and thirsting after righteousness. You know why you might not be hungry tonight and thirsty for righteousness? Because you have not submitted yourself to what God has said for you to do and have not enjoyed and appreciated and lived in the, the, the joy of submitting to the will of God in the last area God spoke to you, and so there's no hunger for anything spiritual in the next area. You didn't read your Bible the last time God told you to. You didn't pray the last time God told you to. You didn't witness the last time. Are you hearing me tonight? But if you do, you sit there in your pew, and the Lord will come by and say, boy, I've been good to you. And you'll say, yeah, you have, Lord. Say, I've been real good to you. Uh-huh, you have. Boy, it sure would please me if you'd praise me. Well, now, Lord, I'll tell you in my heart you've been good to me, but there ain't no way in this world I'm going to praise you in front of everybody. That would embarrass me, Lord. That would I mean, people would think I've, I was crazy. That's just not my personality. I'm not going to do that, Lord. And, and you tell God no, and, 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 and there's no hunger to do that. But I tell you what, you say, Lord, you have been good to me. Lord, you've been real good to me. And you say, boy, it's, I sure would appreciate it if you'd praise me. And you say, Lord, it's going to embarrass me, but I'll do it for you. Lord, I, I don't know, but I'll do it for you. And you lift up your hand. And, and, and well, that's just so good. You might want to lift up the other one. And you lift up the other one. And, and next time you come to church, you'll say, Boy, I enjoyed praising God so much. I, I think I'll do it again. I, I enjoyed it. And you may be riding down the road in the car and realize I don't even have to wait till I get to church. I can praise Him one hand on the wheel, one hand in the air. I can praise Him. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Because of the progression. Lord, I'm nothing. But I begin to mourn over it and repent it. Lord, I submit myself to you. 
Lord, I've tasted and I want what you have. Do you see that tonight? Then the next one, we, we, won't, we, won't, we won't be much longer this evening. The next one, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. And if you remember, and I don't know if you do, but merciful was compassion in action. It was more than a feeling. Jesus had mercy on me and you, and it wasn't just a feeling that he had, but he literally moved to Calvary, moved, he come out of heaven, he, 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 he left his father in heaven and he came to this earth because he was moved by mercy and he went to Calvary because of mercy and mercy is, 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 is an action, uh, it is more than a feeling but it is literally, it is compassion in action. Uh, mercy is an action that meets a need. Mercy will bring forgiveness. It will bring love. Mercy gives. Mercy visits. Mercy prays. Mercy pays the price. Uh, mercy bears the load for another. Jesus did all of that. He loved us. He forgave us. He gave to us. He visited us. He prayed for us. He paid the price. He bore the load on Calvary. Mercy is, is compassion in action. Mercy is putting your shoes on and going and doing something. To have mercy on a sinner is more than the, well, I hope they get saved. But it's a, well, I'm going to do something about it. And I don't know if they'll get saved, but I'm going to tell them how. Have mercy on a beggar is more than thinking, boy, that's sad. But it's going and buying a coat and going and buying some food and taking it to that beggar, that coat and that food. That is having mercy, compassion in action. And it comes behind hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And when you ever get to the point where you quit saying, life's all about me, life's all about what I want, life's all about me making my budget, me making my ends meet, me doing my thing so that I can live my dream life that I want to live and when you begin to submit your life to the will of God and surrender there will become a hunger and a thirst after righteousness and the more God asks you to do the more you want to do and you'll find yourself employed by God doing something merciful that affects somebody else and that employment may not be that you get a paycheck but God has done, brought you over into the area of Christian service. Most folks don't have time for Christian service. They're too busy building their empires to have anything to do with God's kingdom. Don't lose me tonight. Most folks are too busy building their American dream to have anything to do with God's kingdom. But if you would come to the end of yourself, mourn over your sin, realize that you need God, submit yourself in meekness to the will of God, and begin to say yes to God, and hunger and thirst after righteousness, which comes after that, then you'd find yourself doing things that you never dreamed you would do because God has put, He showed you mercy, and now He's put that mercy in you carry it to someone else. He continues to say that this is the blessed life. 
Well, I wonder what some of us are missing out on. Living our own life. Blessed are the merciful. Well, God didn't ever ask me to be merciful. Sure about that? Are y'all hearing me? You sure about that? Maybe that thing that he asked you to do, you haven't done it yet. Then, then the next one. Blessed are the pure in heart. Life was so empty. I come to the end of myself, poor in spirit. In repentance, I mourned over my sin. In meekness, I submitted to the will of God. In obedience, I became hungry and thirsty after God's righteousness. Having experienced such mercy, I became merciful and God put me to work doing something for Him. Now, blessed are the pure in heart. That's when God, and I'm talking to saved folks, I'm not talking about how to get saved. I'm talking about when what you're now doing is because all you want to do anymore is please God. And your motives are pure. There's a lot of folks doing a lot of stuff in church that we would call godly and Christian that ain't a lick of it godly or Christian. There are churches uh, that, that, and I'm not, I I need to be careful how I say this, uh, but they pass out uh, deacon, uh, um, uh, whatever, you ordination slips, uh, like they pass out candy. You're a deacon, you're a deacon, you're a deacon, you're a deacon, and everybody wants a title, nobody wants a job. i tell you what a deacon is. It's more than a title, and it's sure not the ruler over a church. It's a servant of God and God's people. It is, a, it is a, an individual who has submitted themselves to the work of God and the will of God, and it's a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, too, job it is not just a title but it is a work of the spirit of God in someone's life and it is a high uh, appointment that is given uh, as an investment and a and a uh, and a uh, uh, belief in someone's walk with the Lord that is qualifying for the job and what I want you to know tonight is there's a lot of people that hold position of pastor of preacher of teacher of singer of, of, of whatever the position may be but their methods uh, are to please themselves but God can work it in your life to where you're literally doing it for him and him alone Blessed are the pure in heart. When you come to that point, you'll do what you're doing without a attaboy, without a pat on the back, without an applause or a paycheck. If you've got to have a paycheck to do anything for God, if God lets you get one, praise God for it. But if you've got to have one or you ain't showing up, i tell you one thing tonight, it ain't pure in heart in your motive. I see, this is just me, y'all take it however you want, I see every now and then there'll be an advertisement on, used to put them in the newspaper, church needs a piano player, audition, church needs, you take it however you want to take it tonight. If God didn't give us one, 
I'd, I'd, I'd just rather wait till he gave us one and spend time preaching, sing a cappella, than to advertise the ministries at the church to the lost world. It ain't some lost person's job to fill the position. It's God's job to send someone that the position needs. And if I can't pray them in, and if we can't trust God to send them, if we can't raise them up, then we probably don't need them. Might not be time for playing and singing. Might be time for preaching. And the churches that I go to, and God lets me preach, and the pastor will say, Brother, we don't have a piano player. I hope you don't mind. I said, don't bother me a bit. I didn't come here to sing. I come here to preach. But I, I know, but I, I said, well, I know what it was like. I, we used to not have one. Either. Well, what did you do? We sung a soundtrack when we could. We sung to a guitar when we could. We sung a cappella when we couldn't do anything else. And when we couldn't do any singing, all we needed to do was preach. And that was good enough. And thank God tonight, God can handle the rest. I want to ask God, why am I doing what I'm doing? I don't mean that you ought to quit what you're doing. I mean let God change your motive and your heart and what you're doing. Blessed are the pure in heart. All these are working one right after the other in your life. Pure motives and pure methods. Some folks doing the right thing and they're mad about it. Well, get in the car. We've got to go to church. <laughs> oh, don't go silent on me now. I'm in preaching mode now. Well, it's Wednesday again. I mean, we've got to go to church. Mama will be mad if we don't. Daddy's going to gripe if we don't go to church. The preacher's going to call us. We've got to go. The Lord wants to do something so big in your life that it's all in your heart to do that that's pleasing. Blessed are the pure in heart. Here's their motto. I just want to please the Lord. And I don't want anything in my life that hinders that. And then we come to the one we were at the last couple of weeks. The seventh beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God. Can you remember? Again, it's a stepping stone. It's a progression. Don't lose me just yet. Let me finish my thought. Blessed are the peacemakers. It is, it is, it is not, well, I'm not going to say anything to keep the peace. That's not peace. That's cold war. It's underground. It's hiding the issues. But a peacemaker is one that is a proclaimer. It is one that is a practicer. It is one that is so convinced of truth, that is so convinced with the Word of God, that has confronted their life, that they know that the only way that you're going to experience peace is if you are confronted with that same truth that confronted them. So they'll see a sinner in their need, and they'll say to that sinner, let me tell you about the day that God saved me. And what he did for me, he can do for you. If that individual gets saved, they'll know peace. And the only way to get it is through righteousness. There is no peace 
in any other way but submitting to the righteousness of God and it coming into your life. So the peacemaker becomes a preacher, a partaker, and a practicer of peace. I'm going to tell you what Jesus did for me. I'm going to show it in my life. I'm not keeping the peace at all costs, uh, but I am endorsing and standing for righteousness at all costs. Righteousness at all costs. That's why I preach it. This is where we're going to lead to our last point. We won't even preach it. I'll just show you the lead up to it. A preacher, if he is a Christian, if he has come to the end of himself, if he has realized and begun to mourn at some time over his sin and his life and his inability and he's recognized, God, I can't, but you can. And in meekness he surrendered his will to God's will. And because of that he's become obedient and began to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And God's gave him a heart of pureness and God's given him a mercy that is driven by God to do something for someone else. Then he'll become a peacemaker. But what that'll look like is he'll look at a world and he'll run against the grain of that world. He'll say stuff like, I know God loves sinners, but you're never going to find happiness in the LGBTQ or anything else that looks like that. Oh, I could get an amen right there. That's not where you find it. It is perverse. People who know God and they know righteousness and they know the will of God, they'll say about that, they'll say, I know that's right, amen. But people who don't, you know what they'll say? They'll say that man is a man that is a menace to society. A politician, if he's a Christian, he'll say, I know this may cost me my election. I can't stand with the abortion crowd. I may lose my job. I may get voted out of office, but before I'm a Republican or a Democrat, I'm a Christian. And I'm not voting for that bill. And you may bring seven things to the table that I like and, and, and want to compromise, but there's some areas that I cannot compromise. And if he's a Christian, he can't go along with that. They'll say, well, we would have had peace in Washington, but oh, holy roller so-and-so brought the deal. Time to go. If you're a parent, there's going to be times when your life rubs against the grain. And it leads up to our eighth. Blessed are they that are persecuted let me give them to you again quickly I'm done Lord I, I I can't I'm no good I'm nobody you begin to mourn over your sin and that mourning over your sin leads to a submission to the will of God. Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I just want to please you. As you submit yourself to God's will in your life, 
What's the next one? After meekness. Let me see your Bible. You begin hunger and thirsting after righteousness. As you begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness, God fills you with mercy that you extend to others. That mercy brings a pure heart. I want to serve God just because I want to serve God. I'll be honest and I'll tell the truth and I'll be a peacemaker. The moment you become a peacemaker, the eighth one is the next one I want to talk about. Blessed are the persecuted. Now here's my message tonight. And I'm done. I think. The Bible said about persecuted 2 Timothy 3 12 yea and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution I think about the life of Christ it was not every day he was persecuted but there were many days I think about the lives of the disciples it was not every day that they were persecuted but it was many days that people said about them Things that were not true. Did to them things that they did not deserve. All because their life had become so engulfed with Christ that it rubbed against the grain. And all they wanted was for the world to know the Savior that they loved. And they were persecuted for it. I read the obituary of a preacher who died not too long ago. I typed his name in and found the obituary. Not too far underneath there was an article that a rebellious so-called Christian who was mad. And I get there's been people who've done wrong things, but the only bad thing that they could say, and they spent the whole article trying to run this preacher down, the only bad thing that they could say is that he is a misogynist because he believes that the husband is to be the head of the home. Well, I'm sorry, I think that makes you a biblicist. And you might not like that, but if you want peace at home, you might want to get it in God's order. And she wrote the whole article about how bad this man was and, and running him down. And I thought, here's a man who's given his life to the ministry, a man who's given his life to the Lord, a man who's given his life to serve God, and there is somebody upset about that. And we're so afraid of somebody being upset at us. We're so afraid of somebody mocking us or laughing at us or being angry at us that we hide our candle. We say nothing, but God help us tonight to be so filled with Christian character that somewhere along the line... It brings some type of persecution in our life. Maybe your family says, well, I liked you before you got saved. But I ain't hanging out with you no more, Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, Holy Roller. And you'll genuinely go home upset about that because you didn't do one thing to deserve that. Maybe your job. I mean, let's take Christianity where the rubber meets the road. You can come on the piano. It'll make folks feel better. Maybe your job is getting in the way. I'm not saying having a job is. I'm talking about yours. I read this afternoon 
about a second century Christian. Young man had gotten saved and he came to the preacher. He said, Preacher, he said, My job, I'm pretty sure, is contrary to the Word of God. I'm pretty sure that God's Word don't back up what I'm doing. And I'm bothered by it. But, in all fairness, I got to work to live. I got to make a living. Here was the preacher's response, do you? Do you? Do you? I thought about that. That's the right response. What he was saying is if I don't do this wrong thing that I'm grieved about, then I'll not live the life that I want to live but the Lord said blessed are the persecuted blessed are those and, and there's three and I won't preach them all but there's two verses and one of them is physical persecution one of them is verbal persecution where they mock you oh, oh here it comes Mr. Goody Two Shoes one of them is false accusation where they falsely accuse you because who you are. And there's a lot of folks who's lost has been falsely accused, but he said, for my sake. I'm done preaching tonight. I want to ask you a question, young man, young lady. You still hiding that you're a Christian? You don't want no one to know? I tell you what, you're not living in the blessedness comes from Matthew 5. Sir, I read another illustration this afternoon. lady said to her husband, starting a new job, how'd it go today? He said, oh, it went great. He said, I don't think any of them could tell I was a Christian. It went great. None of them know I got by. That's how most of us live. Do they know you're a Christian? Do they know you're a Christian? Do they know that you're a Christian? Well, I don't want to get persecuted. Do they know? You're a Christian. Do they know I'm a Christian? Lord, I love you tonight. I thank you. I, I, I trust you'll take this truth now. Help us in Christ's name. Let's stand.